if you're gonna buy the whole thing, typically what they'll want is, let's say, just to make it easy, let's say there's 100 loans on there. Um, 100 loans, you're probably gonna be able to just do like one bulk price. Uh, but again, it's a weighted average. So if the, if the average of that tape is uh, an interest rate at 7%, uh, that's different than it's at 5% or 9%. So that, that's a major factor. You know, how well is it performing is another factor. So it, it's hard. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today we have Nathan Turner on the show, and this is the Canadian Note Guy, the host of the Diversified Mortgage Expo. And this is the guy that lives in Canada, but buys notes in the US. And so we talked about this pre-show and he was saying, hey, look, like I invest in my own backyard because most people would say other backyard, but he just says his backyard is incredibly huge, uh, big yeah. enough to cross countries, man. So super, super cool. Nathan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Take us into this. Like a, a lot of people are thinking about different ways to make income now that the market might be shifting. You told me yeah. you got started in 2008 when the market was good, right? We usually hear market was terrible, but you said good. So take us through this. Yeah. yeah, it's an interesting thing. If you don't know anything about notes, here's what I can tell you right off the bat. When the economy is doing well, I do well. When the economy is doing poorly, I do better. Whoa. So <laughs> you want the good news or do you want the good news? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So when in 2008, when everything was going haywire, uh, that's a great time to get into notes. Uh, and at that time, everything we bought was non-performing. So pe meaning people- well, Before, you, before you get too far into this, I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Are you like, I mean, you're smiling. Are yeah. you just like one of those perpetual optimists or is it literally good and good? <laughs> it literally is. It literally is. And the, the reason is when they're non-performing, I get a bigger discount on the purchase side. Yeah. And then I've got all kinds of different exit strategies that I can employ. And uh, so it, it actually broadens my scope of what I can do uh, at a better price. So walk us through. So note buying is essentially when you're buying the mortgage rights from the, the current you know, owner of the note. So kind yeah. of walk us through that process. Yeah. And that's a, that's a great place to start because the important thing to understand about notes is that it's not real estate. Yeah. It's real estate related and, and the real estate is, is the security behind the note but this is not real estate. Yes. So that, that's the number one thing to kind of get your head around is, uh, is that difference. But it's tied so to real I, estate in the sense that most of these notes have are in first or second lien position. So you might end yeah. up owning real estate if things go south, but. Exactly. And we're doing homework on the real estate before I buy in case of, in case I do end up taking that back. Yeah. But in its essence, it, it's not real estate. It's just attached to the real estate adjacent to, related to, whatever, but yeah. it's not exactly real estate. All right. So walk us through the process. What, what does the note buying process look like? So it's, uh, it's a little bit wild, wild west, which is really cool. Uh, it's very much a relationship business. So I meet other, you know, hedge funds, people that have notes for sale, people, you know, mom and pops that just created a note. Uh, I'll meet them at, at all kinds of various ways, but mostly at conferences. Uh, and then we get to know each other there and I say, okay, so you've got this note for sale. Uh, I'm willing to buy that note for you from you for X amount. And it's, mm -hmm. it's always at some kind of a discount and that varies based on all kinds of factors. What's the current interest rate? What's the current payment amount? How long has it been paying? 
where is it located? What's the value of the property? There's a lot that goes into it. Uh, but I'll, I'll, we'll come up with the price. We might haggle on that a little bit, but we'll come up with a price and say, okay, good. That's what we're going to do. Funding takes place maybe a week after that. I've got about a week to do some final due diligence where I check the title, make sure the title's okay, and I'll check out the property, make sure the property value is what we think it is. Uh, and then that, at that point, I send a wire. I send a wire and within a week, a couple of weeks, they'll send me a, a file folder full of papers and that's what I bought. And, wow. so, and that, so it's it's very much a, that's why it's relationship because it's a lot of it's based on trust. I'm going to send you money and you're going to send me a bunch of papers sometime soon. Yeah, please. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Uh, so what, like when you're thinking, like, what is the price point you like to work in? I, that's a good question. I, my preference, I like kind of the lower end. So anything below between about 50,000 and 150,000. So, and I, you know, experience preference, whatever, uh, the higher end stuff, you're probably going to have some kind of a fight with the borrower in case of again. Uh, and I'm, and that's the thing, anything I ever buy, it's always looking down the road. It is what it is today, but down the road, there's always a chance I'm going to have to foreclose and take back a property. So I'm always looking down the road to that possibility. Uh, so the higher end stuff, they're going to have a lawyer on speed dial. I just don't want to deal with it. It's just not, not worth it for me. Uh, so I like that lower end because my experience, the folks that live in those houses, they're way more willing to wheel and deal and yeah. just say, okay, so you can't pay 800. Can you pay 700? Yeah. You know, can we raise your interest rate to this or lower it to that? And we can just work something out. And it's just, it's easier to deal with. So really you're, you're the real business you're in after you buy the note is in dealing with people who are potentially non-paying foreclosing. So you have the propensity to really be the bad guy. <laughs> it can be viewed that way, but you know what? Nine, more than nine times out of 10, uh, if I can talk to the person in the house, if they, if they're making payments, no problem. Everything's fine. If they quit making payments for some reason, and I've bought it as a non-performer even more, uh, most of the time, almost always, if we can have some kind of a conversation, we can work something out and they can stay in their house. They can continue making payments at a different rate and maybe higher, it might be lower. I've done it all over the map and we're there just to solve problems. And so it, it can look like the bad guy, absolutely. But I really feel like we're solving problems and we're, me and all the other note investors, we're out there trying to help people stay in their house, houses as much as possible. We're just trying to collect payment. That's it. We're lazy. So we, we don't want to do all the work. We just want to collect the payment. So if we can structure something where we can just collect payment, that's the ideal. Now you've done hundreds of notes that you've bought. How many yeah. have you had to foreclose on? Oh, lots. Uh, and like I say, almost always it's when the house is vacant. Yeah. So, so either maybe the people died, uh, maybe they've abandoned it back in the day between, you know, 2010 and 2018. So many of these where people have just vacated the property. Maybe it was an income property, maybe not, but they just walked away. So, so in a case of a foreclosure, it's probably because it's empty. Got it. So not a lot of like, Hey, we got to kick, you know, Betty and her daughter out of the house or. It's, it's rare. I'm not going to say it doesn't happen, but it's rare. Yeah. Because yeah. usually in a situation like that, you're able to find some sort of situation where either, like you said, you raise their interest rate, you raise this, you lower this, something happens or yeah. they do, maybe do deed in lieu or. Yeah. We can work something out. It's, it's, 
yeah, people do weird things sometimes and they don't necessarily do the logical thing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, maybe it makes all the sense in the world for them just to move out. But they say, no, 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 I want to stay in. I can pay and they'll come up with it. I don't know how. I don't ask questions, but <laughs> they'll come up with it. And I say, okay, great. Congratulations. Let's good. Let's keep yeah. going. What uh, What's the craziest or the worst deal that you've had so far? Oh, man. Worst deal? Worst deal, you know what happens is when I take back the property, that's when things go sideways. Hmm. Uh, so as much as possible, I don't want to own the property. Yeah. I had one in... Michigan, I forget the town, it was Michigan. Uh, and uh, we ended up taking back the property. Uh, I had sold it on terms to somebody else for a little while. They made a couple of payments and then they decided it wasn't worth it for whatever reason. And then they quit calling me. So it was a long drawn out thing. We ended up finally taking it back and it just was trashed. And the inside of the house was just a mess, which is probably why the people quit paying in the first yeah. place. But uh the city was all over it. They were unwilling to work with us in any way, shape, or form. Uh, and that was that was not a good deal. That yeah. did not go well. But that's, like I say, I don't want the property because that's what happens. So you make money by essentially buying these things cheaper than they are. So you buy a note for 50000 that if it paid out fully, might pay out at a hundred or something like that. And then you make the spread. What are some basic parameters? I know it might be beyond the scope of this conversation to dial in every possible parameter that someone could could face, but what maybe are yeah. some basic frameworks people could use when they're trying to price notes? Very, you know what? Uh, a common misconception and a question we get all the time is what percentage of the UPB? UPB yeah. is the unpaid principal balance. Yeah. So whatever the balance is, you know, are, would you pay 60, 70, 80% of the balance? That's a terrible way to price a note. Uh, because much more important than that is what's the current interest rate. If the rate on the note is three or 4%, and then I buy that, uh, even at 50%, that's, that's not enough. I'll tell you, because if then they reinstate and then they start making payments again at a 3%, 4% note. So my return on that's terrible. Uh, on the other side of that, if the note is written at nine or 10%, I can, I can buy that at 80% uh, because then I'm getting my yield. I'm getting my return. So that's kind of the number one key. That's a, that's a big one. So there, there's several ways to go about, like, let's say a distressed homeowner came to you and said, Hey, I, there's no way I'm paying this. Right? Like, obviously when you're getting the notes, you're not buying them from the homeowner. You're buying them from, from the hedge funds. Right. But have you ever right. had a case where like a homeowner's come to you and said, Hey, like, can you buy my note out? And yeah, I'll pay you 8% instead of 3% or anything like that. You know, I never have. Um, and I'm not sure that would work because the bank or whoever's holding the note would have to agree to sell it to me at a yeah. price that made sense. And so it's, I've never come across that, but I'm open to it. You know, if there's ever anybody who's struggling that way and wants, you know, a second pair of eyes or whatever, anything. Yeah, I'll look at it. So when you when you're talking about hedge funds, like you're probably not generally buying onesies, twosies, right? From these guys, are you buying clips or? Sometimes. Yeah. No, sometimes I can. It, it depends on the seller, depends on the tape, I, the list that they sent me. If it's you know 200 loans on there, um, certainly the. I worked for a hedge fund for a little bit, and the truth is, you actually make more money by selling one or two at a time than you mm. do that big package. So a lot of the sellers are willing to sell off a couple at a time uh, just because it's a lot more work, but there's a bigger spread there. 
altogether. Yeah. yeah. Cause I just remember like my first, like becoming aware that this thing started actually was happening. I was, you know, probably 15, 10, 15 years ago. And then I, was, I had this friend who was an attorney. He's like, yeah, you know, these companies are buying houses at like 30, 40 cents on the dollar buying like a thousand at a time. And I'm like, say what? Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, that's crazy. So like what, like when, when these hedge funds sell tapes of, you know, hundreds at a time, like what sort of discount are they usually putting out there? If you're going to buy the whole thing, yeah. typically what they'll want is let's say just to make it easy. Let's say there's a hundred loans on there. Um, a hundred loans, you're probably going to be able to just do like one bulk price. Uh, but again, it's a weighted average. So if the, if the average of that tape is a, an interest rate at 7%, uh, that's different than it's at 5% or yeah. 9%. So that that's a major factor. You know, how well is it performing is another factor. So it, it's hard to say exactly where that's going to land. Um, you know, anywhere from, I mean, the ones that are buying straight from Fannie Mae, they're paying like 95% of, of the unpaid balance. And those, you know, their money costs a lot less than mine does. So maybe that's how they do that. But, uh, but it, it's such a wide, you know, swath. It's hard to say exactly where that's going to land. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between five and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. How do you weight the discount for non like people being behind? If they're behind? Yeah. A uh, couple of things. So I will look at how behind. Uh, yeah. is, it, is it six months or is it, you know, two Person. years? Yeah. Uh, that makes a big difference to me because again, generally speaking, if they've only, if they're only six months behind, uh, there's a greater chance that they're going to catch that up than somebody who's two years behind somebody who's two years behind. Not that they can't fully reinstate that they, they probably can't, but, uh, but they've gotten used to not paying. So it's harder for them to kind of get back on track where they they're making payments again. It, and if they've, haven't paid for two years, there's an also a, a much higher chance that they're not even there anymore. Yeah. So that, that's a big factor. It's, so, it's a vacant property. It's been vacant for 18 months. It's probably not in great shape. Something's busted, you know, and it's been vandalized some way or another. And so those are all kind of the factors that go into it. It's, it's, uh, it's like you say, it, it, 
it's not real estate, but yeah, <laughs> it's really related. So like in your process of thinking through that, is, is it like, okay, Hey, because there's like these three factors, right? There's interest rate, there's, you yeah. know, is it like you're just knocking down a percentage? And if so, like, what's the percentage for it being two years behind versus six months behind? Uh, for me, I'm looking at like, um, it's not necessarily a, a, this amount of time equals this much discount. It's mm. just, I'm trying to get a sense of the story. I'm mm. trying to get a sense of where this might end up. There's When you buy a note, especially if it's non-performing, there's so many different ways that it could go. Mm. So when I'm looking at one that hasn't paid for like two years, I'm more likely going to foreclose on that. It's more likely it's going to be vacant. I'm going to foreclose on it than one that's six months old. And if it's six months old, then it's more likely that they're going to pay. So I'll look at, I've got a in kind of my calculation spreadsheet to say, okay, so if it reinstates and they start paying again, this is what kind of expected return I can, I can get on that. If it, if it's more likely that they're going to hand it over, this is the expected return foreclosure. This is the expected return. And I've got kind of a, a waterfall thing there where I can look and see, okay, so what's the worst case scenario. And then I'll base my bid off of that worst yeah. case and most likely scenario. And I'll, yeah. I'll base my bid off of that. Yeah. So essentially if it's going to go to foreclosure, you have a cost to hire the foreclosure company that's going to run that process. Right. And then you also have the fact that for the length of time it takes to do the foreclosure, you're not going to be collecting anything. Yeah, exactly. And so you discount it based on that, maybe more than a percentage of whatever the loan amount is. Yeah, exactly. Okay, cool. Um, like how many of these did you have to do in order to be able to build that spreadsheet? Uh, I built that out probably eight years ago. So yeah. I was, I was like halfway in. <laughs> yeah. Eight years. So in. I did like a really simple calculator when I was first starting. And then after, you know, doing enough deals, I'm like, okay, so here's some possible exits. Here's some different ways that it could go. These are the costs associated and started building that out. Yeah. It was probably about 2015 or so. So talk to me and you don't have to answer this. This is crazy personal. I don't know why my mind wants to know this. <laughs> if you look at your hundreds of deals, like have, have like how many have you lost money on like roughly speaking? Oh, you know what? I don't mind answering that. Um, how many have I lost money on? 2%. Wow. It's, it's, it's rare. Uh, and if we, and most of the time a loss means that I've, you know, it's a loss of, maybe 10%, you know, yeah. somewhere between, you know, one and 10% loss. Um, the amount of times that I've, I've just lost the entire investment to, uh, yeah. where that one that I mentioned where the County wasn't willing to work with us, the city wasn't working, willing to work with us. So that one, we just walked away. Yeah. Then, you know, thankfully we only paid $15,000 for that. So it's not total end of the world. I don't like losing any money, but, yeah. but it wasn't a hundred thousand, you know? Do you have like a certain amount? Like, how do you factor? Like, cause like when people do flipping and stuff, they generally like, okay, I want to make at least, you know, X percentage, but also I have a minimum of 30,000 a profit or 50,000 a profit for, for flip. Do you kind of have profit minimums that you have when you go into a buy a note? Yes and no. Uh, if I'm using investors cash, uh, that's certainly a consideration. And when it's investors money, I'm more looking at the percentage than mm -hmm. I am about the dollar amount. Yeah. When it's my own money, I'm more looking at the dollar amount than the percentage. It, hmm. It's maybe heavier weighted. We'll say that. Tell me more about, about that thought process. So when it's the investor's money, um, my focus is I want to get them a return, you yeah. know, some, some percentage, whether that's eight, 10, 12, whatever. 
Uh, and so I, when I'm doing kind of the upfront investigation on that to make sure I can do what I think I can do, I want to make sure I can get at least their money. And then if I can get paid on that too, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so I'm looking at that when it's my own money, then I'm looking at, okay, so, uh, you know, I paid whatever, $5,000 for a little tiny note once and uh, the return of money that I was getting back in was 7,500. So absolutely done deal. It's, it's, the return is actually really great, uh, but it's dollars in make more, make more of a difference when I'm looking at putting food on my table. <laughs> so that's, that's part of what I look at. That's cool. So how do you decide which notes to put in yours and which notes to put in like the fund, for example? Uh, the fund, it's the fund first and then I'm second. Yeah. Uh, if it makes sense for this fund that they get priority. Yeah. Uh, and then <clears throat> ultimately the fund for me is my retirement plan. Yeah. So it's to, it's to make, help me make enough money that I can buy my own notes and then eventually phase out the investors. Yeah. So it's a, it's a sliding scale kind of a thing. Uh, and then with the goal here being in 10 years, I'm done with investors and then yeah. I've just got my own portfolio and going on vacation. Amazing, so, man. So you were working for some hedge funds. Is that what led you into the note business? Sorry, one more time. You were working with some hedge funds. Was that what led you into the note business? Uh, no, actually. I was, I was a fix and flipper and a yeah. landlord uh, way back when, 2005 and <clears throat> I did the. I worked for the hedge fund for about a year is all, uh, about 2013, 2013, yeah. 14. Uh, so that was kind of in the middle of my, my mm -hmm. note career. Uh, but it is one of those things, you know, just right time, right place, talk to the right people. And they said, so here's this thing called notes. And I went, really, you can do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it really piqued my interest. The thing that I, I liked about being a landlord was the cash flow. The thing I didn't like about being, land, but being a landlord was everything else. Yeah. Uh, so when I learned about notes, I'm like, so you're telling me I get the cash flow that I liked but none of the other stuff, I'm in. Yes. Um, yeah, and a lot of the the non-payment stuff, I mean, that's, you just hire out these eviction, or not eviction, these uh, foreclosure companies. Right. So, right. yeah, I've got attorneys spread out all over the country and I'll call up whichever one covers that state. Yeah, and you just turn it over. Yeah, that's amazing. So yeah. one of the downsides, right, to notes is not having the depreciation. So yeah. one, how do you factor like, okay, so as you start churning tons of notes, making tons of money, like what sort of tax strategies are you using? Um, you just putting it into real estate or, or is it just, Hey, I'll just pay the taxes. You know what? I just keep it in notes. Uh, yeah. Years ago, my wife and I debated about that yeah. several times and uh, you know, but what about the appreciation? But then the more we went along, and the more we realized, okay, so we get all the cash flow, but none of the headaches. All the cash flow, none of the headaches. Yeah, okay, totally worth it. Yeah, I so hear we you. keep the notes, uh, and then and then as one cashes out, we go out and buy another one. And as one, you know, pays off early because they sold the house or because they refinanced or whatever, uh, we'll we'll just go out and buy another one. The cool thing is, uh, it's interest income instead of capital gains. So as far as tax strategies go, it's kind of built in that way, which is nice. Yeah. So you're now hosting the D Diversified Mortgage Expo. How did how did that take place? 
Uh, I was approached by the old owners. This is the eighth annual, uh, but my first crack at it, which has yeah. uh, been a ton of fun. I really enjoyed putting it all together. Uh, but yeah, I was approached by the old owners, a uh, couple of ladies that I just loved to death. One just decided she didn't like the limelight, which is fine. Uh, the other, her and her husband live in an RV. Currently, they're in Mexico. She's like, it just doesn't fit my, my lifestyle. Mm. I get it. So I was flattered that I was approached in the first place, but uh, but it, uh, absolutely, I'm all about that. I'm a huge, huge, huge believer in in conferences in general. This year, besides mine, I'm going to six others, uh, just because it's it's so important to get out there and talk to people face to face, shake hands, have a meal, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and it's all about relationships, and you forge those relationships, and then you cement them at these conferences where you can get together and just chat. So a huge believer. How much are you looking to raise for the fund? For the fund, it's a, it's a small fund, $5 million. Um, yeah. Minimum investment to get in is 50000 maximum is a million. And uh, it's big enough that it provides me a decent income, small enough that I don't have to hire any extra help. Uh, I work from my home office. I love just being at home and seeing the kids off to school and seeing them when they get home. And, and that, you know, it's really a lifestyle thing for me yeah. uh, and it's just a lot of fun. How, um, how do you decide what to pay out in interest to the investors? I talked to a lot of different uh, hedge fund managers. Yeah. I said, so what are you guys doing? What's worked? What hasn't worked? Uh, and in notes, you've probably encountered this, but in notes, everybody is so open and so generous with their information and time. And so I had no issue, you know, getting other people's feedback. Yeah. And in the end, uh, we're offering 8% and that seems to be kind of a going rate for, for a note fund. And so we thought, okay, we can deal with that. Yeah. That combined with, you know, looking at our past uh, stats just to see what have we done, what haven't we done. Is that reasonable? Is that safe? Is that something we can, you know, offer our investors without worrying about it and checked all those boxes. So that's how we came up with it. Awesome, man. What's your, what's your vision for the next 12 to 18 months? Next 12 to 18 months, uh, we'll finish off raising the 5 million. We're just in the middle of that right now. Uh, get that up and running. We've got some other kind of cool stuff. We'll, we'll continue running the, uh, the conference as well. And then on top of that, we're actually looking at opening a, a nonprofit, which is really exciting uh, and we'll be able to help so many people. So that's uh, that's an exciting thing that's coming up in the near future. Tell me more about the nonprofit. Nonprofits are awesome. I just uh, recently learned about them and learned about uh, not just that it's a great way to help people, but they're actually profitable. Yeah. Uh, and you can, not just profitable, but then there are all kinds of government and you know, local and federal government things where uh, funding that's available to nonprofits that aren't available to the general public. Yeah. So anytime there's like a disaster relief, something like that, um, you know, there are things back <clears throat> coming out of 2008. There was the hardest hit funds that was available to nonprofits more than regular <laughs> folks. Uh, there's just all kinds of different programs out there help for building houses for low income people. Um, all kinds of cool stuff. So we we looked at that and thought that's something we'd like to be involved in and uh, it fits, you know, our way we think. And so that's, that's great. Looking forward to that. And so that would be a nonprofit that would, would buy notes as well. 
notes. I think we'll actually do some properties in that one as well. Yeah. Um, but, and then we'll look and see what opportunities are out there for nonprofits. Yeah. Awesome, man. Well, Nathan, thank you so much for coming on sharing about your life and your business. For those of you out there that need a conference to go to, to be able to learn some new things, this is pretty cool. I got exposed to note investing maybe a couple years ago, just the idea of it. And I was like, this is pretty cool. Like, and I like the way that you say it. Basically, it's a cash flow without the headaches. So if you, if you learned something from today's episode, write it down, share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 